Well, we're in the middle of a, of a series this morning uh, talking about the miracles of, of, of Christ, of God, that he performed here on the earth. Um, it's simply titled, It's a Miracle. And, and the main carry uh, home with us to take is the fact that it, the same God, the same Holy Spirit who made these incredible things happen, is the same Holy Spirit that you and I have today. And if he could do those kinds of miracles... Regardless of how he may choose to, uh, to act and to function today, he has the same power, and there is absolutely nothing in your life that our awesome, powerful God is not sovereign over. I heard about a boy who was in the habit of exaggerating to the point of lying. I mean, it was become a real problem. His teacher was very concerned. I mean, you know, one day he came in and he said, my dad shot a, an 80-point buck over, over the weekend, and it weighed 700 pounds. Everybody kind of rolled their eyes. And, and the next day he came to school, and he said, when I got home from school yesterday, our house had been blown down by the wind, and I had it all built back before my parents got home from work. <laughs> Johnny, you know. And so then, the, the next day, he came in, and he said, I ate a hundred White Castles on my way to school this morning. She was hoping that one wasn't true. <laughs> but she said, this is the very thing I need, to, I need to do something about. And so she came up with a creative idea. She thought, maybe little Johnny doesn't know how he's sounding. And so maybe if he heard a far-fetched story, it would kind of get his attention, and he would stop telling them. And so she said, Johnny, I have a story I want to tell you. She said, the other day, I saw a dog jump over the bank and take off chasing some bank robbers that were speeding off. It caught up to their speeding car and stopped them by eating off the tires and pulling the bank robbers out and holding them down till the police could get there and arrest them. Now, Johnny, do you believe that story? He said, yep, that was my dog. <laughs> We all like a good story, and if your stories are like mine, they kind of season as the years go on, and, and, and my understanding of them is, is the truth as I remember it, uh, but they kind of get to where they kind of grow. Here's the really cool thing. Our awesome, powerful God, when we become followers of his and when we're born again into him, he gives us new stories. I mean, he doesn't just change our lives. He doesn't just give us new beginnings. He doesn't just give us all of eternity with our sins uh, wiped away as if that's not good enough. But he writes a new story in our lives. And unlike little Johnny who felt the need to fabricate his stories and make up things bigger than life, our God gives us real stories that are bigger than life and they're constantly developing and evolving as we continue to follow him. He has never, never finished with his work in our lives and our story, the story he's writing in us can become something very powerful. This morning, you've either already become one of his followers or you have not. That's one of the things about the gospel. When you begin to, to get into the gospel and you begin to understand about the Son of God and that he is the only way into salvation and, the, and that he is our Lord our master, you realize that there has to be a point in time in which you officially give your life to him, surrender to him, and become born again into him. And you either have or you have not. Salvation's not a feeling. It's not just a great-on-the-curve kind of thing. It's not based on our good deeds versus our bad deeds. It's based on whether or not, whether or not we have chosen 
to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and be born again into him. And maybe today, the story that God needs to be writing in your life is that salvation story, that new birth, that starting point of a lifetime of being devoted to following him. Because you're never almost saved. (laughs) Someone has said to be almost saved is to be completely lost. But if you're saved and you're born again into him, whether it was last week or last month or a year ago or a decade ago or many years ago, your story is not finished yet or you wouldn't still be here on the earth. (laughs) Your purpose for being here is to shine for the Lord. Your purpose for being here is to bear what's called the fruits of the Spirit, to have fruitful labor for Him. The Apostle Paul said himself, good King James word, I am betwixt. (laughs) Because to die, to be absent from the body, is to be at home with the Lord, and that's far better. But to remain on in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for you. And Paul says, I do not know which to choose, though the choice really wasn't his anyway. Bottom line, Jesus can change your life and your story. The miracle that we're going to look at today is the one where Jesus frees a man from demon possession in Mark chapter 5. The man goes through a remarkable change in his mind, his appearance, and his wholeness. I want us to consider five stepping stones this morning to the pathway to wholeness. Five stepping stones. And I'm convinced that no matter where you are, no matter where your friends or your loved ones are, your neighbors or your coworkers or the classmates at school are, no matter how bad off they think and how hopeless things may appear, I want you to know that they can get on a pathway to wholeness and the answer to their problems is nothing this earth has to offer. It's everything about what Jesus Christ can offer them. The first stepping stone that this man is on is not a good one. I call this stepping stone desperate. You get the impression, a very clear impression, that the man in Mark chapter 5 is desperate. And what does he do? He cries out to Jesus. Now, there's going to be kind of a mixture through this story because it's the demons that are crying out to the Lord. But nevertheless, this whole process has an impact on this man's pathway to wholeness. Mark 5, 1 and 2 says this. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus never gets much of a break, does he, in the Gospels. He's gone to the other side. Things are going to be calmer over there. And when he gets to this special place... He finds a man already calling out to him, identifying him as the Son of God and wanting him to do something for him. Mark identifies the town as Gerasa. It is basically the land of the Gentiles in the Decapolis. Decapolis is simply a word that means ten cities. There's a difference between, I want you to know, between demon possession and demon oppression. I'll explain those to you. If you are born again into Jesus Christ, you have received the indwelling gift of his Holy Spirit. And I want you to know there's no room in your soul for both the Holy Spirit and any created satanic being. (laughs) There's no way that any, any supernatural angelic being can overpower you and make you do something. People will say, well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do anything. 
He cannot take control of you and force you into doing anything because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you need not fear being overtaken by any kind of demon possession. They cannot possess you. They can oppress you. And you definitely need to be aware of that. Satan wants nothing more than to see the people of God tripped up. I still say that his biggest uh, offense or defense, however you want to look at it, uh, on us today is, is busyness. If he can make us busy, too busy to get in the Word, too busy to, to be in regular worship, too busy to be in an accountability group and to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who can lift us up, then getting us to trip and fall is no problem for him. I've known many people, and myself too, who will go through seasons of that oppression where you know you're in a spiritual battle. Now, while Satan might not be able to control us, he can, he can keep us on that stepping stone of desperation. This man was desperate. And when he sees the boat coming, the demon within cries out to, to, to Jesus. Broken is the next stone. We see him go from this desperation, Jesus doesn't even hardly get a foot out of the boat before he's calling on him, to a brokenness. Verses 3 through 5, humble yourself before Jesus. When you're broken, humble yourself before Jesus. It says in verses 3 through 5, it says, He lived among the tombs, this guy did, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This poor guy, he's broken. He was in such bad shape I hate to repeat what's in the text there, but I mean, he's in such, break, such horrible shape that even chains cannot bind him. I've seen on the news where the police will go to subdue someone who is on some sort of a, 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 hallucin, a, a drug that will cause you to hallucinate, and, and you're so out of your mind that you can almost do supernatural kind of things, and they can't even hardly keep you together with handcuffs because you're, you're being so controlled, so out of your mind by by a drug. And in this case, this guy was out of his mind because he was filled with demon possession. And no one could bind him, even for his own good. Imagine that this fella had some brothers and sisters. Imagine that he had a mom and a dad and grandparents and close friends. And he is so tormented by this demon possession that they cannot even protect him from himself. And there's nowhere he fits in in society. He's kept out at the tombs, the graveyard, where day and night he's crying out. He's out of his mind, and he's taking sharp stones, and he's cutting himself. You never stop loving someone, no matter how much they hurt themselves. The Baker commentary says that the man had been alienated from family and community and himself. And when I read that, I thought, I want to share that. He was even alienated from himself. 
so filled with these demons that wanted nothing good for him and everything bad for him that he wasn't even able to enjoy himself. He was robbed of himself. You know people like that? Maybe people that are not demon-possessed, but maybe you know of someone who is so tormented by an addiction or unrelated mental illness, untreated mental illness, or maybe, maybe they suffer because of poor choices, and they're constantly finding themselves to be their own worst enemy. And you want to help them, but every time you try to help them, you find yourself maybe enabling them because they are in such bad shape. I tell you what, this man had lots of people that knew him. And they were at their wit's end. They'd run out of ideas. There was nothing else to do for him except ostracize him and keep him out of the community, out at the tombs, where at least everybody else was safe. Matthew tells us that there were two demoniacs well, Mark and Luke only mention one, and that's just because only one of them is the main character in this story. There could have been more than two. There could have been uh, multiple ones, but only one gets mentioned by Mark and by Luke because that's the one that we need to hear about. This is not a, a contradiction in Scripture uh, at all. Matthew also tells us that it was the region of the Gadarenes, and some people will question why two separate towns. Uh, is that a contradiction in Scripture? Which town was it, you know? And I always liken that to be like what it would be like if, uh, if you're out of town on vacation, maybe you're in Florida, and you meet another couple, and maybe the guy asks, uh, the, the, asks you, says, uh, where are you from? And you say, Indy, uh, but his wife asks your spouse, and your spouse says that you're from Jamestown or Advance or Thorntown. Well, that's more specific, but the further we get away from home sometimes, we just say, I'm from the Indianapolis area. And somebody else might say, I'm from Plainfield. Well, both are right. One of you wasn't being dishonest. That's not an inaccuracy. It's just one's a little more specific than others. The main thing to get from this is that it's the other side, and it's the land of the Gentiles where the Gentiles live. And it's no wonder there that we find this herdsman of, of a lot of pigs. Um, the man goes from desperate to broken, and the next stepping stone is rescued. This story is leading somewhere very, very positive. It's one of my favorite miracles in the, in the Bible. We see him seeking freedom. He goes from desperate to broken to rescued because he seeks freedom from the one who can free him. Mark 5, 6 through 13 says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. Well, the Bible's an exciting book. You know it? There's nothing boring about the Bible. 
I mean, this is, a, this is amazing, and, and this isn't fiction. This really happened, you know? This is the type of stuff that, that we ought to be telling people about because it's an amazing, amazing book, a collection of books, the Bible is. And for Jesus to have the power over these demons, and they're begging him. You see, even the demons believe in Christ, and they tremble because they know that he is the creator of everything, and he's in charge, and in the end, they're going to lose, and he's going to win, and they're terrified. And they beg him, please, because he's saying, come out of this man, and he's going to win the battle. You can bet on that. And they're saying, don't send us into the abyss, Matthew tells us that. Send us into, the, send us into those pigs over there instead. And it's not that Jesus felt sorry for them or or Jesus changed his mind or that they had convinced him, coerced him to do this. Jesus is all about teaching a lesson uh, to the people. And here he grants permission to these demons that don't want to go to a place that was known as a place of... um, of constraint for demons where they could be punished. Some people believe that it was a place within the earth where the waters had come from during the flood and had left caverns and cavities in the earth. I'm not exactly sure about all of that, but I know it's a place the demons did not want to go. And they were incredibly afraid of it, and they, they acknowledged the authority of Jesus over them and over everything. And he grants them permission, and these demons, whose name is Legion, for they are many, um, a legion, by the way, in a Roman army was 4,000 to 6,000 soldiers. <laughs> so when they say we are many, they ain't joking. <laughs> and 2,000 pigs are there on the hillside, and Jesus grants permission. They go into the pigs, and what do the pigs do? They take off running down the hill into the sea, and they are drowned. That's not a good day for those herdsmen, is it? <laughs> In today's economy, that would be worth a quarter to a half million dollars. Actually, the commentary I was looking at said a quarter of a million dollars, and I got to thinking that commentary wasn't written yesterday. This was a huge, a huge loss. But the man who had been tormented for so long is now finally set free and rescued by Jesus. He was not strong enough for these demons, but the demons were definitely not strong enough for Jesus. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And whatever battles you're facing in life, whatever battles your adult children or grandchildren or your parents or your neighbors, your co-workers, your teammates on the, on the ball field are experiencing, I will tell you this, whatever they're going up against, whether it's addiction or poor choices, whatever it is, that is no match for Jesus Christ. And he will win if they get off the stepping stone of desperation and they begin to make their way through brokenness and and to being rescued and crying out to him. This is a great story because of its progression, and it continues to get better in verses 14 and 15. We find the man restored and seeking his healing. Mark Mark 5, 14 through 15 says this, The herdsmen fled... And they told in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Everybody knew about this crazy man. He was the elephant in the living room, so to speak. 
He was the family's embarrassment. He was the one that everybody was at their wits end that they could not heal or restore or do anything for. And when these herdsmen run into the town, run into the country, run out and tell everyone what they had just seen, is this not reminiscent a little bit of the shepherds in the Christmas story? That God has chosen these these blue-collar workers that are out, they're tending the pigs, and this Jewish uh, prophet, rabbi, whatever it was that they thought Jesus was, (laughs) has of all things cast demons out of this crazy man and has put them into their livestock, and now their livestock is dead. But they're telling the story, you're not going to believe this. You know the crazy man, so-and-so's son? Well, he is... He has been freed of those demons, and now we are without our pigs. And everybody wants to come check it out for themselves. And Mark is very descriptive. He tells us that when they get there, they don't find the guy kind of like the Incredible Hulk, you know, after he's no longer green and swollen, but his clothes are all ripped up, and he's like, whoa, what just happened, you know, kind of thing. Instead, they find him clothed. And in his right mind, and calm, and he's happy, and he's restored. And this is a powerful, powerful miracle. Two lessons Jesus is teaching by allowing those demons to go into the pigs. One is that he is teaching them that he is able to show that demonic world wants to destroy their hosts. What he did to those pigs is what Satan's wanting to do. He wants to put his demons into all of us. He, he wants to cause us to fall and, and to suffer. And then secondly, if Jesus can command <clears throat> these demons and they have no choice but to obey him, then the townspeople must make a decision on who Jesus is, and that's where we find ourselves in this pathway. They have to make a decision as to who Jesus is that he's able to do what they've never been able to do for this fella. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. He's restored. And Jesus is the reason that it has happened. And it might surprise you, if you don't know the story, what their response is. You know what I would have, if I was writing this and it was fiction, I would have had the next part of this story would have been that they turned to Jesus and said, wow, you can do anything. Could you help me with and I'd have this, you know, people with this laundry list of things they wanted to do. I, I'd like to have my hearing restored. I'd like, to have, I'd like to have this done for me. I'd like to be able to see. I'd like for this person to be able to walk. I'd like for, this, I'd like for the, the, the dead to come back to life. And I would start asking all kinds of questions, but that's not what they do. Look at verses 16 through 20. And for this stepping stone, for the man in the story, the main character of the story, I have the word deputized. Because Jesus is giving him an assignment a very important assignment. It says, And those who had seen it, the herdsmen, described to the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis and all those ten cities how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. A couple things there. The first thing that they did was to fear Jesus. 
Because they were very much afraid of the demons. And they were very much afraid of what these demons could do to people. They had seen what they had done to their loved ones. We know there are at least two guys up there living among the tombs. This special guy, who's the main character in the story, and obviously his anonymous friend, but there may have been even others. And, and the people were afraid of the demons. We're afraid of them today, aren't we? People don't even like to talk about it. They don't like to explore that subject. And, and it's kind of a scary thing. But we have nothing to fear when Jesus Christ is our Lord. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But these people were afraid. And rather than ask him to stay, they're like, hey, if we were afraid of the demons and the demons are afraid of him, we're really afraid of him. Please leave. And the very people who so often need the Lord the most are the very ones that push him away out of fear. You experience that, right? You see somebody and you see the hurting and the suffering that they have, the brokenness that they have, and we seem to, as a society, we have fallen so far away. People 20 years ago would never have dreamed that we'd have the problems that we have in our culture today. And the further we decide to get away from Christ, the more those problems multiply. And we say to Jesus, please depart from us Depart from our schools, depart from our community, depart from my family, depart from... I don't want any part of religion. I don't want any fanaticism. And people began to fear the very one who can give them eternal life and the very one who can give them abundant life here on the earth. And I tell you, that's the work of Satan. And we need to not be afraid of the one who can help us. And we need to tell everyone the story. This guy was told, no, no, no. I don't want you to come with me. I appreciate that. He's like, Forrest Gump, I'll follow you anywhere, Mr. Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 no. I, you, you go back home. You go back to your family, back to your people, and you tell everyone your story. So I started out this morning by saying that Jesus not only wants to change your life, he wants to change your story. What is your story? I mean, are you prepared to tell people about just an honest evaluation of your life, what it was like before Christ, how and when you became a Christian, and how your life is different because you're a follower of Christ, clothed and in your right mind, so to speak? I mean, is there a change? Is there any kind of fruit in your life? Is there any hope that you didn't used to have? I always say that the people who grew up always going to church. Maybe they were born on a Tuesday and in church the following Sunday, and they grew up going to, to, to Sunday school and vacation Bible school and, and gave their lives to Christ when they were 9, 10, 11, or 12 years old, and they followed him all the way through student ministry and high school, and they were in the Bible study groups in college, and, and they've married a Christian, and they're loving the Lord. When that person tells me their testimony, and they tell me that if it wasn't for Jesus, they would be lost for all of eternity... My thinking is, well, if they needed the Lord, then I know I do. One of the most humble people to ever tell his story was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham was always very honest about Jesus and his faith in him. And he would be the first to tell you, you know, that if it wasn't for Christ and for his grace, he would be doomed for eternity. Jesus is the way into salvation. Regardless of how we've lived our lives, no one's perfect. All have fallen short. And there comes a, a point in time in which we have to 
we have to humble ourselves and say, I want to die to myself and live for him. I want to confess publicly what I believe about him. I want to be baptized into his death, his burial, and resurrection. And I want to walk about in that newness of life, clothed in my right mind, so to speak. And I want to tell everybody about what Jesus has done for me. It's decision time. And we're getting ready to stand and sing. And as we do, I'll be right down here in front of the clock. And if you uh, have a decision for Christ and you want to come forward, I would love to talk to you about that. But I encourage all of us today to think about our own story, about how Jesus has changed our lives, and about how we can use that story not to get in his boat and just be, you know, part of the club and happy and have good fellowship, but how we can get out of the boat and go tell everybody about him. Join me in singing.